the scripture is clear that Father you sent your son into this world because you loved the world and you wanted to make a way for us to be able to be in right relationship with you through him but while he walked the earth he did not just mention the kingdom of God but he demonstrated the kingdom of God by healing and by relieving some measure of suffering as he healed and the act of his which benefits us who sit under this roof this morning the most is his act of suffering on the cross and you raising him from the dead We don't know if there was any other way for us to be reconciled to you. But what is obvious is that you took on our sin and you suffered on our behalf. You took the penalty that we deserved. And so, Lord, we pray that in that same mysterious way, that you would please relieve the suffering of those who are in the Gulf Coast of the United States, who are on the East Coast, who are in Haiti, who are in Afghanistan, who are in Riverdale, who are in Lanham, who are wherever, especially those who would, in their disorientation and their desperation, cry out to you even if they be like the woman at the well who worshiped what she did not know, Lord, would you please respond? And Lord, even for those who may not be calling out, would you please have mercy? May we hear of miracles. Please have mercy, O oh God. Thank you that you are a merciful God, so we're not asking you to do something that you have not demonstrated already that you are willing and able to do. And so we just offer up all of the prayers that have gone up. We just offer them up not on our goodness because we're never good enough to come before you, but we offer them up in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. And we praise you that we have. We have ability because of him to come boldly before your throne of grace and to receive grace in our time of need and also, as our spiritual father Abraham did, to intercede on the behalf of others. And that we do. And Lord, we thank you for all of the blessings that you've given us. And we thank you that we are in a place where we can freely come to church and not worry about what's going on at home, but to come here clear-minded, now, Lord, would you speak to our minds and our hearts? Would you do it? Would you do it? Lord, I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase and that you would glorify yourself through your word. I pray against inaccuracy. I pray for your spirit to move with power. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. Well, good morning, everyone, and um, 
Welcome to Solid Rock Church. That's what I usually say when I'm doing announcements. I haven't done announcements in a long time now. Because our lead pastor, Curtis Allen, who normally will preach, um, is on sabbatical. This is the final Sunday of his sabbatical. Um, He will be back on next week. Next week, you won't see me because we, my family and I, are getting away for a little uh, refreshment and relaxation and fun um, just for the weekend. So you can pray for us for traveling mercies uh, for that. But we are, we have been and remain in a series that uh, we've entitled, Show Me Your Faith by Your Care. Show Me Your Faith by Your Care. Um, we are in this series, and I'm, if, if, you've, if you've, this is not going to be like, uh, you know, sometimes when you go to church, like the, the preaching can be an event. This is not going to be one of those sermons. This is, if you come here for the first time, you're coming in the midst, in the middle of a family, con- or at the end of a family conversation. Why are we having this family conversation about showing your faith through your care? <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, we're, show- we're doing it because... Caring for others is and uh, is of eternal import. Anyone who is familiar with Matthew chapter five, when Jesus divides the sheep from the goat, one on the right, one on the left, he's going to say there were things that the righteous did. And that this was why they were entering into his kingdom. And they're not going to remember when. When did we do this? They'll say. And he will say, as much as you did it unto the least of these, you, my brothers, you've done it to me. He's going to say to the ghost, you didn't care for me. And he lays out how. You didn't come to visit me when I was sick. You didn't come to visit me in prison. You didn't give me any thirsty, any water when I was thirsty. You didn't clothe me when I was naked. You didn't do those things. When they're going to say, did we do that? And he's going to say, when you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. So caring is fundamental to what it means to be a Christian. A lack of care for those who are in need is, is an indication of a lack of connection with Jesus Christ. Remember, he didn't come into the world for, as they used to say when I was growing up, for his own health. Now, he, he didn't come because he just needed something to do. He's running the world. He has enough to do. But he came for others. He came for those of us who are here and others who are in other churches and people who don't even go to church yet, but who will come to know him. He came for that reason. So we care because he cares. And then in our church, what makes it even more familial is that in our church, we have an uptick in opportunities to care. People like myself, even though I wouldn't say I need care like that yet. But if I keep living, I'm probably going to need care. See, you can ask my children. From a a young age, I told them, yeah, man, one day you're going to be taking care of me. I just said, that's something. Yep, one day you probably will. You know why I say it? Not because. (laughs) Yeah, I say it because I grew up watching many generations be in one household. Great-grandmother, grandmother, mother, yourself, right? They cared for one another to the end. So that's what I saw. 
right? Now, there comes a time when maybe your ability to care for people in that way has been exhausted. But usually that, that's, that's, that's going to take a, a while for, that, for you to get to that place. But we're here because, here in this conversation, because we have people we call the first gen. They're getting older. Some of them are walking with canes now. They weren't walking 20-some years ago when I came. They weren't walking with those. And the church is called to care for them. Their families are called to care for them as well, and their families will. But to the degree that we can help, so will we. But we're not going to get there by osmosis. See, we, we, we live in 2021. At the, at the sound of a tone, my attention is drawn here. Probably with a task to do or something that I can put on my schedule. In other words, what I'm saying is we need to be intentional if we're going to do the things that we commit to do because there's always, this life right now is rife with interruption. Rife with it. And therefore, we need to prepare ourselves. As I told you last week, or one of these weeks, my wife shared some information with me that she knew I wasn't going to like. And before she shared it with me, she gave these three, two helpful words. Brace yourself. So if you say brace yourself to me, first thing I'm thinking is, oh, man, did somebody die? What she told me, nobody died. So it was even though I didn't like what she said, it was like it was good. <laughs> but the bracing of myself is helpful for how I process. Therefore, this conversation, though, it's not a it's not a it's not one of those conversations that you that you just want to have. But it's one that you need to have. And so I want to thank the people who served as a panel for us on uh, last Wednesday. It was Dean, it was Ann, Madeline Camille. Um, I do always do this. I, I just I have two people that are not. Carla, thank you, Carla. Carla, thank you, Carla. Good, okay, good. Carla's not here, and she went out there. No, she went out there, so she didn't hear that. So y'all don't tell Carla that I forgot about her. Sarah, if you're watching, I'm sorry, Sarah. I'm so sorry, but I appreciate both of you and all five of you, for helping us to further process. The, what we're going to talk about today is, I mean, I read all of, that, all of that scripture in part because it's going to take us a while to get to scripture, to our response to how we engage with those who have mental disabilities or mental illness. The Bible is not, it addresses mental illness in some ways. I think you, can, you could, you could, Make a case, you could make a case that you can see, you know, dealing with mental um, disabilities and men maybe mental illness in Scripture, but it's not blatant in which you, that what mental illness is mentioned. So there are a few things that we need to do before we get to how we respond. There's a few things we need to put out there before we get to how we respond. But I will say this about the series. Thus far, first of all, similar to marriage counseling for those who, who are married. And this is insight for those who will one day be married. 
you, you will not get married under one of the pastors here without marriage counseling, premarital counseling. Having said that, we are aware that no amount of premarital counseling can fully prepare you for the advent of marriage. No more than watching someone drive prepares you completely for driving, which most of you probably have done. Most of you have probably driven. Have you driven in the snow? Have you driven in the rain? Have you driven in the... I don't know. But you cannot just look at someone and, and become an expert driver. You have to, like, go through some things, right? Go through some... Same thing um, in marriage. Same thing with when you hear information, period. If you don't have the opportunity to practice it, you will not grow in your skill. So we want to be prepared for the opportunity, but we want to say, man, we do not... Our skill is in process. So this series is not a, it doesn't cover every single thing that can be covered at all. No, it's just to help us begin the process of being intentional about what may await us. And if it doesn't await us in the church, it will await you in your life. I told you about my own grandmother who ended up, uh, all of my grandparents have passed, but my uh, grandma, my father's mother was the last of my grandparents to pass. So I was very, um, I, I was just very much more at the front of helping her transition from complications that had to do with Alzheimer's. So I, I got a chance to see her start asking me questions over and over and over again and to seek my comfort without knowing what she was doing, without a diagnosis at the time. I remember once we were at grandma's house for some celebration and she asked me, she asked me to spend the night. And she kept asking me and I'm like, and then I, I didn't know she had Alzheimer's. So I'm like, man, but grandma, why are you? I, I mean, I didn't say why you're asking because that's one of those things where, like, I know they don't do this anymore, and I haven't done it to any of my children either, but I've never experienced this, but I've seen it happen, where you might get popped in your mouth. Like, what are you talking to grandmother like that for? <laughs> so, I, I, so I didn't ask her, why, my grandma, why are you asking me that? No. I just thought, oh, grandma's getting older, and that's cool. I want her around as long as she can be around. So, no, grandma, I can't spend the night. Three minutes later, Mike, you going to spend the night? No, Grandma, I'm, I'm not going to spend the night. We need to take the kids home. And da, 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 da. Five minutes later, Mike, you spend the night? No, Grandma, I'm not spending the night tonight. Four minutes later, Mike, you spend the night. How do you prepare for that? Hopefully, conversations like this one help you not only prepare, but respond the way Jesus would respond or in some way informed by how Jesus would respond. And so that's why we are where we are now. So we talked about caring for the poor. We talked about caring with those who have acute illnesses or seasons of or a season of illness. We talked about those who are, are caring for those who are terminally ill. We talked about caring for those who are physically 
disabled. And this morning, we want to close out our time. And, man, you can pray for me all throughout this. We're going to close out our time trying to get a picture of how we can care for those with mental disabilities. The National Alliance on Mental Health reports that approximately one in five adults in the United States, that's 46.6 million people, experience mental illness in a given year. Mental illness, while not easily defined, can range from a plethora, which means just a lot, of different hindrances and disorders that make normal, everyday life a challenge or borderline impossible for the individual. Mental health, in my opinion, this is just one man's opinion, has been like the boogeyman in the church. And I think one of the reasons why it's been like the boogeyman is because of the overlap between mental health and spiritual health and the inability to discern which is which at any given time. And those who, are, who care about spiritual health may feel mental health practitioners infringe upon their territory. And those who are mental health practitioners may feel that those who are responsible for the spiritual health of others or, or helping with the spiritual health of others are infringing on their territory. See, the word of God is living and is powerful or effective, is sharper than any double two-edged sword. It penetrates as far as the separation or the dividing of the soul and spirit, the joints and marrows. But human beings, being able to separate that is difficult. And so the inability to, to discern and, and just the black and white, we love black and white, do this, don't do that. Just, but the gray, that makes us a bit uncomfortable and I understand why. It makes me uncomfortable. When I say us, I'm not just, I'm not, that's not uh, a rhetorical. That's, yes, it makes me uncomfortable, but I think with where we are as a society, we cannot deny the reality of mental illness. As NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Health Illness, said, I'll just repeat that statistic, that one in five adults in the U.S., that's not even the world, one in five in the U.S. experiences mental health in a given, uh, exp, uh, mental illness, excuse me, in a given year. See, it's, it's, it's been a boogeyman because in, in this way. So here's an example of an approach. I won't say where, what website I got this from, but I, was, I looked up uh, mental health and, and the Bible. And this is what one of the contributors had to say. The Bible gives us the foundational key to physical and mental health. The key is simply this. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, in your heart 
for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Proverbs 3, 1 and 2 and verse 8. It should not surprise us, it goes on to say, the article, the answer goes on to say, that obedience to God's commands and other laws would promote health. When we obey them, we operate in accordance with his instructions. As our creator, he knows what's best for us. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says, Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Some biblical statements it goes on to say about health are specific, such as if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on, bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Exodus 15, 26. The ancient Egyptians, it goes on to say, suffered from the, the kinds of diseases that have ravaged mankind throughout history. Autopsies on mummies have revealed uh, evidence of cancer, um, arteriosclerosis, arthritis, tuberculosis, gallstones, bladder stones, parasitic diseases, and smallpox. They suffered many diseases because they did not understand the health principles God gave to Moses. It goes on to say, the biblical instructions regarding health, maintenance, and recovery from illness involve application of cause and effect principles. Based on true science, which were given thousands of years before scientists developed the technology that enabled them to discover germs, bacteria, viruses, genes, and the like. Modern medicine has discovered many principles of good health, but they originated with God who designed and created the miracle that is the human body. Finally, last paragraph, what the Bible says about health is that those who follow God will generally be healthy. That does not necessarily mean that those who don't follow God will always be sick, nor does it mean that God's people will be absolutely free of disease. The Bible says, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. 3 John 1, 2. Obviously, God is more interested in our spiritual health than our physical well-being. But he does not want us to be physically healthy. I'm excuse me, but he does want us to be physically healthy as well. On the other hand, disease is a result of Adam's sin, and even the most righteous may suffer. After all, Job was righteous, but God allowed him to suffer disease and hardship. So I'm not sure how you hear that. I mean, I know you're hearing it for the first time, and it was a lot to hear. I'm sorry. I just wanted to present it as full of pictures as I could. But in, in my opinion, the, the weight of what was, the weight of the answer was a bit reductionistic, even though it gave some caveats. To me, the overarching, um, what I would take from this is, amen, follow what God says and you'll basically be healthy do what, what, what he shared through Moses to the Israelites and you'll be healthy. There could be some truth in that on one level, but the degree to which their levels was not stated well in this. And mind you, this is one thing that I'm reading from this. So there may be more. But that is an example of why 
the boogeyman. Like, hey, man, all you got to do is listen to God. All you got to do is like, hey, eat like they ate in the Bible and you good. <laughs> Basically, I mean, that's in my, you know, Mike Dixon's version, you know, his translation. But I don't know if you've ever been injured. And a fair number of us in here wear glasses. The fact that you wear glasses, that I wear glasses, means that if I take these glasses off, as much definition as I would have to be able to recognize you with these on, I cannot. So I cannot even tell. I can only tell this because I know and I like to see where she is. I can't even tell without these glasses. I wouldn't be able to tell that my wife is sitting in the back there. I wouldn't be able to tell that, that Lou and Violet are right there. I mean, they're right there, but I can tell because I had these on. But I wouldn't know who they are because everything is rather blurry. I can see that they are people, but my, my eyes aren't healthy all by themselves. I need some assistance to be able to see who you are, to be able to see whether I know you or don't know you, right? When we have, when people, when, when Tolu first uh, came in, he still has that boot on. I thought he didn't have a boot on. I was getting ready to be happy. Um, but, but when he first came with the boot on, I think I saw crutches as well. Why? Why do people have crutches and things like that? They need assistance. They need it for their physical body. It makes sense that there are instances and cases in which we might need it for our mental health as well. And another thing that may cause mental health to be uh, such a boogeyman is the spectrum is so large that it can be hard to tell, like, okay, when are you, when are you seriously, when are you dealing with serious mental illness, and when is it just a matter of mental health? Those are different categories, but in the same spectrum. And who in here has not ever experienced anxiety about anything? No one. Everyone's had some instance in which they got afraid of something or where they just were wondering, like, hey, should I, like, how should I approach this? This is very important. How do I prepare for this interview? How do I prepare for this test? Did I, did I study enough? Did I, how am I going to do? For me, what I would do for tests to try to help me didn't do good with tests in school, but when I did my best, I just needed to do something like chew gum and take my time. <laughs> or else I'd be a little bit too anxious to like do well and not do well at all. The spectrum can be vast. So let's define a few terms. Serious mental illness and this, I would recommend this. If you want like a good interview of a person who their child struggled with a serious mental illness and struggles with that illness, but when it first got diagnosed, he was sharing a story about how things unfolded. His name is Michael. Lawrence, 
Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, Lawrence, L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E. And I think his, uh, the podcast that he was on was called like Food Trucks in Babylon. Yeah, I know, I know. I never heard of that joint either, man. I'm just like, wow, that's, that's an interesting name, man. What's, what's going on? I'm sure it's something very creative behind that name, but I didn't have time to figure it out. But the interview was good enough for me to listen to two times, and then I want to listen to it again just to help. But he described mental, serious mental health illness as any number of diagnoses that are severe enough to impair a person's ability to carry on with normal life. Any number of diagnoses that are severe enough to impair a person's ability to carry on with normal life. The mental illness may cause the person to be hospitalized or to be repeatedly hospitalized. It will cause them to need strong, a strong medicinal response. Examples would be schizophrenia, major depressive disorder, with psychosis is another example. As stated earlier, Four percent of the United States, four uh, percent of the people in the United States struggle with a serious mental illness, which means more than likely we're going to encounter someone who struggles with a serious mental illness. Now, mental health is a broader, bigger idea he said, which references one's ability to navigate life smoothly. And as mentioned by me, everybody deals with their own mental health. Our issue, and I do take issue with this, is when we normalize mental illness and we minimize it to mental health because they are easier, it's easier to deal with mental health issues than Serious mental illness. <laughs> and I think if you're in a generation like, I would say a generation that begins with my generation. So my generation is Generation X, right? I would say we're learning how to deal with mental health and with serious mental illness unless it's forced upon us. So again, the reason we're doing this is so that before it's forced upon us, or if you have to deal with it with someone you already know, and you can probably speak to these things better than I can, but um, we want to be prepared to help those who are dealing with serious mental health illness, as well as those who are dealing with challenges surrounding their mental health. So I mentioned the podcast on food trucks in Babylon with Michael Lawrence. He was the guest, not the host. I don't remember the host's name. So that's one resource for your own looking back, as well as this one. This is a book that um, Sarah Womack um, told me to get or referenced for me, and it's called Mental Health 
I'm sorry. I don't think Sarah told me to get this one. I think I got this one myself. We'll get to Sarah's like later. Sorry. Um, but, but this one is called Mental Health and the Church. And this, what we're going to go through now is to try, to try to get a sense of what it's like for people who deal with serious uh, mental health, mental, excuse me, serious mental illness. And some of these things can overlap with, with people who have mental health challenges as well. So according to the book Mental Health and the Church by Stephen Grievich, there are seven things that are challenges for people with uh, serious mental illness and possibly for those who are struggling with mental health. One is stigma. Stigma. So I don't know, you probably remember that when Jesus got his feet, uh, well, well, got anointed for his burial, that, that a sinful woman came in, right? And she anointed him, right? And what the, what the, the guests were doing, what the, excuse me, what the hosts were doing, I think it was Simon, um, were doing was that they had so much stigma that they didn't recognize that they never like, they didn't give Jesus a kiss. They didn't, they didn't wash his feet. They didn't do any of that. But they're looking at this woman because she's sinful and they're just in their minds. They're just like blasting her and him. If he knew what type of woman this was, da, 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 da. Remember, you remember that, right? That's an instance of, of stigma. Stigma is a mark of disgrace or infamy. It's a, infamy. It's a stain of reproach on one's reputation. And you may not think that, like, like, maybe we wouldn't stigmatize people who have mental, serious mental um, disability, mental illness. That may be, though, because, and most of you wouldn't notice, when we first came to the church, there was one young man here who had a serious mental health, mental issue, excuse me mental illness and he would sit like where my wife is sitting back there drinking her coffee and he would make noise and when I got here everybody was like that was normal when you in Rome you do as the Romans so it's normal right when I come it's like oh, okay that's I'm not going to mention his name or the family's name. But they would sit back there in the back. Sometimes a young man would, would, get, would get away and, and run. Then they had a, a, a daughter. And she would get away like way more often than, than the boy would. I think the young man is now like in his 30s, maybe approaching 40. He's 36. Okay. Um, so, so, so some people were here, but most of us in here weren't. And... So it was like, okay, so there's a place here for people with serious mental illness. I would say hi. People would say hi to him all the time. He couldn't say hi back. You didn't know whether he liked you or he didn't. Sometimes his family would need people to, like, just sit with him while they, like, took a break 
Remember what Ann said on, on Wednesday, and if you weren't there, I'll just let you know. Um, she said that anyone who's caring for, um, for anyone who's like just a normal caregiver, they should take four to eight hours a week as a break. That family didn't do that. But whenever they needed a break, the church did respond. When it was like, hey, we really need. They wanted, they, they, they kept their son uh, involved in as much as they could. When I was a Sunday school teacher, they would bring, they would bring him to, into Sunday school. And, you know, when questions were being asked, mom would be sitting there with her son. And I guess he was, you know, he, could, he liked the, uh, a keyboard. And so she would answer on his behalf, but like make him type, like make his, move his hand to each letter to type the answer. When I read you a story that is from the book that Sarah Womack gave me, just remember, just try to listen for how stigma played out in this situation because the story that I'm going to share is the uh, experience of someone who is the parent of someone who has a serious mental illness and how they were received at their church. Another, uh, a, a, another challenge for those with serious mental illness is not just stigma, but also anxiety. They haven't, how are you going to view me if they can even think that way? Um, uh, why do I have to interact with this person uh, could be a source of anxiety. Even if they cannot communicate it, it can be, that can be their lot. And I'm trying to, the reason I'm sharing these things is so that we can, we can personalize them for ourselves to think of what would it be like to go somewhere and be a person who just had a stigma on them just like this. Or who dealt with anxiety just from seeing the door or driving onto the parking lot. What would it be like if you had Issues with your executive function, which basically is just your cognitive skills that, that's used to control your thoughts and behavior. What if you couldn't? What if it was impossible for you to do that? What if you just said anything that came out of your mouth? What if you just said the first thought that came into your mind? How many friends would you have? You don't have to answer that. But. And then there's the sensory processing. Sensory is anything related to the senses. What if your senses did not work as they should or as we, as most people's senses work? What if you couldn't tell that it's getting cold right now? Because that airs on. What if you had, I don't, do not recall what the disease is, but there's a disease where it seems like it would be a blessing to not be able to feel pain. But pain is one of, the, one of those indicators that lets you know that something's wrong. So if that's not working, your life is in jeopardy all the time, right? But what if that were you? What if that was someone you loved? What if that was your child? Could you still come to church? Would you still be welcomed at the church? Will you be welcomed in this church? Sometimes they have, as mentioned, probably because of the executive 
functioning challenges, but social uh, communication can be um, a challenge as well. You know, I, I know many times, they, they are, uh, from my work at Parkdale High School, um, as a volunteer, uh, Parkdale has, I think, the largest um, SPED population of high schools in the public school system, if I'm not. And if it does, if I'm not correct, it's like they're somewhere, they're, they're, they're like in the top three. Sometimes, you know, because your face is seen, even those with, with serious mental illness recognize you and like you. And then you, okay, so if you like me, I'm going to talk to you. So, so then when we talk, sometimes the social cues, they just don't work for them. They just do not work. As a matter of fact, there was one instance where, um, and I really feel for, the, for, for them, um, but, you know, they're, they're high schoolers. Every, you know, there are challenges in certain areas, but not all areas. So there's this uh, one uh, employee who was very friendly, female to this one. Um, well, she's friendly to everybody. She was friendly to everyone. She doesn't work there anymore. But um, so, so one of the students hugged her, and like you're not like after the, you're not supposed to like make any physical contact with students, and they're not supposed to with you either. So so she asked him to stop, and he wouldn't stop for a while, and he was way too strong for her. And she, got, she actually got afraid over that. I mean, maybe she should have. I'm not trying to diminish her, you know. I'm just saying that, like, like she was, it was serious um, to her. But she and others were aware that his ability to, to, to process that was all gone. Not all gone, but, like, you needed to be patient with that. So a person who has social communication challenges is going to have some sense of social isolation because even with the with the with the faculty member they were like well I can't talk to him anymore I can't engage with him anymore and so there's going to be a level of social isolation with the young man I was talking about there's a bit of social isolation with him as well even though he had been here at the church pretty much all of his life if not all of his life. So these are some of the challenges that people are going to have to face. There's going to be stigma. There's going to be anxiety. There's going to be executive functioning challenges. There's going to be sensory processing issues. There's going to be social communication challenges. There's going to be social isolation. And then there's the church who has its own routines. Its own. Remember when in Rome, do as the Romans? Well, it's Rome to the mentally ill. It's Rome. There aren't accommodations. Madeline Camille says, not that she's mentally, uh, has mental disabilities, but she said, as far as choosing this church, we don't have steps. Something that basic helps to determine whether or not this is a welcoming place. There probably are many more things that we don't know about, but we want to learn and that's why we are where we are. So listen to this story and try to think of the, what, I, what I said about, you know, the different uh, challenges, the, 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 the stigma, the anxiety, the executive function, the sensory processing, the social communication, the social isolation. And then here is Sarah's story from Disability and the Church, written by Lamar Hardwick. 
Our son Sam was diagnosed with autism when he was 27 months old. Though he was already in speech occupational, uh, physical, and behavioral therapy just before he turned two. The news came five days before Christmas, and when I hesitantly announced it as a prayer request during one, one Wednesday night service, the whole room gasped. How terrible, they said. So sad, they said. At that time, Sam was completely nonverbal, except when he scripted movie lines as he acted them out. He had no functional language or expressive language. But we had discovered that he knew all the letters of the alphabet, upper and lower case. He knew numbers and colors. He just couldn't communicate effectively with us then. At church, they seemed to tolerate him in the older nursery, which was for uh, ages one and two. But after he turned three in August, it was time to move up into the class for threes and fours. There were all of five children in the class. The first Sunday when I picked him up after class, the teacher, who happened to be the pastor's wife, met me at the door. She, she explained that he'd had some difficulty and visions of him banging his head or pushing the other kids over darted through my mind. I asked what had happened, and she said he only wanted to sit at the table against the wall and do puzzles the whole time. She refused, excuse me, he refused to sit at the table with the rest of the class. He would not play with the blocks on the floor to illustrate the Bible story they were learning. I asked if he screamed or banged his head or had a meltdown in any form or if he was hurtful to anyone. No, she said, he just sat at the table and did puzzles the whole time and he wouldn't participate or even look at us when we tried to call him over. He just did puzzles. And then she said the words that haunt me to this day. He can't learn like that. I bravely smiled and explained that he did not have the, that he did not have a hearing disability and probably could have repeated every word that was said of the Bible story. Oh, but that's not really learning, she insisted. She then told me that he needed to be placed back into the ones and twos because if he could not participate with the whole class, then there was no reason for him to be there at all. The following week, he went back to the older nursery where he proceeded to view every walking toddler as a bowling pin that he knocked down. He can't be in here, they told me. He has to be with kids his own age and learn how to act. Over the next few weeks, I was requested to stay in the class with him to watch him. I was going through postpartum depression after the birth of our third son just three months earlier, as well as all the grief, stress, and frustration of going through a new diagnosis and continued weekly in-home therapy. I wanted to be fed with fellowship and God's word um, in class. My husband had taken a new job in a new state, and I was pretty much on my own with three children ages newborn to four, as we waited for our house to sell. They, <clears throat> they brought in the children's ministry director to sit with us during class. Again, he just sat at the table against the wall, separate from all the other ch kids, and played with puzzles the whole time. He never screamed. He never had a meltdown. He never tried to hurt anyone or himself. Still, they said he couldn't be in there like that. He was a bad influence on the other kids because if Sam could do puzzles, 
Why did they have to sit, in the, sit at the table and follow directions? It wasn't fair to the other kids, they said. I asked if our ABA behavioral therapist and a personal friend could come in one week at our own expense to work with them to teach them how to work with Sam in a class and engage him. They agreed. But looking back, I believe they wanted to give the appearance of willingness, but truly lacked the heart and desire to actually work with our son. The following week, our therapist left her own church, where she was a Sunday school teacher, for their own special needs Sunday school class, and came to our church just to work with Sam and the teachers. When I went to pick him up at the end of class, I stood in the open doorway and before I called out to him, I heard the teacher and our therapist talking. They had their backs to me and did not see me standing there. The teacher told our therapist that she was sorry for the inconvenience of her time, but that they didn't see why they should change anything they did just for one child. She berated me to our therapist, saying I was just trying to get my own way. I then called out to Sam, and they both turned sharply to see me standing there in awe of what I had just heard. The teacher played it off as if I hadn't heard them and told me how wonderful everything was and thanked my friend for coming. Church people. That's not part of the article. That's me. <laughs> With tears in her eyes, our therapist spoke, spoke privately to me in an empty hallway as I cried. She told me everything she had done to try to show them ways they could engage with Sam, but that they simply refused any of her suggestions. Obviously, that's me again. She would close out the story by saying, I left church that day feeling completely alone, and I never went back. The church is the body of Christ. There's, there, there may be time when people feel alone when they leave church, but it shouldn't be because of our actions. Uh, our actions should embody the, 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 the mentality of Jesus, the one who said that, you know what, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. He's going to evaluate how people cared for other people. That needs to be at the forefront of our minds. In Psalm uh, 22, 24, it says, for he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. Meaning that Jesus is not looking on the, 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 the afflictions or the challenges or the illness of people and saying, I can't, I, I don't want anything to do with that. Remember, we've, we've mentioned these passages before, but in, in John chapter 9, where it talks about how, how his disciples, right? We, we just, we, we're, we're so reductionistic, right? We, we see the man who was born blind, John 9. Did he sin or his parents? Tell us, because we know somebody, it's somebody's fault. Somebody's responsible for this. Because to go back to the to the to the article I read from the from when I keyed in some some Google words about mental illness and and the Bible, um, if we just if we just follow what the Bible says, our health will be okay. There won't be any mental illness. There won't be any illness at all. Uh, oh, but sometimes you know, uh, sometimes there's some of that. That's confusing. So what do we do? I'll say this: the first thing we do is we don't worry about why it's like that. 
we respond to the reality that it is like that. Okay, so we're not asking God, why did this happen? We're dealing with the fact that it is. And we're dealing with the fact that Jesus cares about all kinds of people who are not like me, who are not like you, who definitely are not like him. Remember him without sin at all. This world has sin all over the place, despite the fact that Jesus is inviting people to himself every day, hopefully through this church and other churches and just even through people's minds, even through, uh, you know, when you when you stop and think about what's going on in, in countries where where they cannot preach out in the open and you see how people are having visions and dreams about Jesus and responding to the vision and dream of Jesus and coming to faith. Our God is powerful, but he's not just powerful. He's compassionate and he does not despise or abhor the torment of those who are oppressed. This is from an article from the Southern Baptist Convention. A piece of what was said there is what is constant throughout Scripture is that God provides comfort to the suffering and meets the needs of the brokenhearted. His word promises that those who are in the midst of suffering, whether experiencing death or depression, have the hope that everything is working together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It is outside of God's character to senselessly torment those he loves. We know that trials, that the trials we are experiencing on this earth, while difficult and uncomfortable, are for the testing of our faith to produce endurance and character and that they are never without purpose. Again, we may not know the why. We may know the reality that it is. And then if we see the reality that it is, if we are not the one who is, well, either way, we have to respond to the reality that it is. And so before I talk about how we should respond, I just want to say this to anyone who, who struggles with any serious mental illness, um, any, anything on the spectrum along mental health, um, please remember that Jesus invites people to come to him, people who are weary and who are burdened, and he promises to give them rest. It may not look like rest to us, but if we believe what Jesus says, and that's what I try to do, and I'm sure you do too, that he's able to give rest. See, we are not just our body and our mind. See, it's possible, it's possible to be uh, physically and mentally alive, but still be spiritually dead. Right. Ephesians chapter 2, right? It's also possible to be mentally and physically dead, but yet be alive. 
The point is, we're more than our body and our mind. And if we are, if Jesus says that he's going to give rest, he knows how to, like the word, right? It, it separates between soul and spirit. We're not able to do that, but the word can. And Jesus, obviously, is the word become flesh, so he can. He knows how to do what he desires to do, and nothing can stop him. I mean, just as an illustration, if you know anyone who's mentally ill, seriously mentally ill, have you ever seen that person or those people smile? I have. Something broke through. Like the Lord knows how to do it. I may not know the mechanics of it all, but I know that God is able. And I know that he invites people who are weary, people who are burdened to come to him and that he will give them rest. He tells them to take his yoke on them and learn from him. Why? Because he's lowly and he's humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Do not think that God has abandoned you because this may be your cross to carry. But remember that one day that because remember that in, in dying on the cross, Jesus has secured for us that one day all mental illness will be gone. All physical illness will be gone. All sadness will be gone. All pain will be gone. One day we won't even need the sun. One day there won't even be a night or day. Every, it will always be day because the sun, S-O-N, is there, the one who died for us. And so he doesn't cast the mentally ill aside. He cares for them. Again, the mechanics I cannot explain, but the God I know and I see in Scripture who comes and, and he heals that man who was born blind, right? He heals the, the woman who for 38 years was, was bent over, right? He, he healed her, right? He heals the man who was by the pool in Bethesda and didn't have anyone to, to take him and put him in the pool so that he could get healed at the proper time. But Jesus says, do you want to be whole? And he says, yes. One leper said to him, if you want, you can cleanse us. And Jesus, in one account, I could be missing, mixing the accounts, but in one account, I think I remember Jesus touching a leper and healing him. And his touching of the leper is something no one else would do. As a matter of fact, if you were familiar, are familiar with what would happen when someone like a leper would come around, you would have to say, unclean, unclean, everybody get away. Talk about stigma, good gracious. I mean, you, who would want to go out? Who would want to even go out in public? Nah, man, pick up the groceries for me. I'm going to be here, man, because I'm, you know. Everybody scatters because... According to the Mosaic law, you cannot touch anything unclean. So you just want to make sure you're as far away from that individual as possible. So the fact that Jesus would reach out his hand and touch a leper to heal him shows that Jesus will come alongside in a very tangible way to be with those who may be struggling in any 
kind of way. So for the mentally ill, you may not receive your healing. Remember Mark chapter 6, and I'm not saying that this is the case with you. I'm just saying like the reality of the illness may be such that it's not going away. People praying and in the mystery of God, that is your cross to carry. Right? We all have different crosses that we must carry. But don't ever think that because you have a cross to carry that you don't have a Savior who cares. And also remember that you have a community who cares as well. We may not know everything to do at Solid Rock Church. <laughs> That's, that sentence is funny. Let me change that a little bit. We do not know everything to do at Solid Rock Church. It's not an issue of we may not. No, 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 no. We do not know everything there is to do at Solid Rock Church as it relates to this area or many areas. But we do know how to be compassionate. We've demonstrated that. That was happening before I was even here. We do know how to do that. We do know how to listen. We do know how to do that. Why are we listening? Because we want to learn. Why are we learning? Because we want to make sure you feel our love. Because it doesn't matter what we do according to John, excuse me, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. If we do not have love, we are nothing. And so we don't want our love only to be in word. We want it to be in deed as well. And so God he invites people all, even in uh, uh, Isaiah 55, God is inviting people to come to him. Jesus, he's God in the flesh, right? So he's inviting people to come to him in Matthew 28. And then we see that Jesus doesn't even wait for people to invite him, but he goes to them as he is healing uh, throughout. So if you are one who struggles with a serious mental illness or mental health on any level, just remember that Jesus is with you. You have a Savior who cares. And I would encourage you to also do what the Apostle Paul did. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul is at the end of his life, but he looks back on his life and he says, I fought the good fight. Fight. Do not give up, but fight. Y'all know Ali, right? Muhammad Ali? Float like a butterfly, sing like a bee? When, 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 when he was training, what did his people say? Rumble, young man, rumble. To anyone who struggles with mental health issues, regardless of where you are in the spectrum, fight, fight, fight. Young rumble, my friend, rumble. Don't give up. Don't give up. Just think of the mental and spiritual agony that our Savior went through in the garden. His fight didn't look pretty. It was almost like the, 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 the picture of an ugly wind would be like Jesus in the garden. Right? He's not, he's not like, Father God, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you. No, he's not like this. Right? He's, if it's possible... Would you please take this cup away from me? 
but yet not my will, but your will be done. And he prays the same prayer over and over. Your prayer does not have to, like, graduate to articulation. Like, the Lord, however you pray, the Lord knows how to answer you. Even if you cannot pray and can only in your mind's eye pray, remember that the Lord stands ready to join you and to answer your prayer. But fight the good fight. Finish your course. Finish the race that's set before you because what awaits you, just remember that this life is not the end. Right? Whatever age you make it to, I make it to, that's not the end. This was, this is a process. The destination is with God, not here. This is process, not destination. Please remember that. Put your situation in context. Process, not destination. God is not finished with you yet. God is not finished with us yet when we take our final breath. So fight and look forward to what awaits you. So Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Then he looks forward to what awaits him, right? Verse 8 says, there is reserved for me a, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Let's make sure, regardless of where we fall, that we are loving the appearance of Jesus in our life. Let's make sure that we are celebrating what God has done to the degree that we can understand it. And if we are serving, caring for someone who cannot, they can't process that, let's look forward to what awaits them. Don't not share Jesus with them. Share Jesus with them, knowing how powerful Jesus is. And no, the mechanics, hey, I, I don't, the Lord will parse things out that are far beyond my little pay grade. Yeah, yeah. But am I going to pray for you with you? Yes. Am I going to pray for you without you? Am I going to communicate with you? I am. To the degree that you allow me, I am. Am I going to tell you that something better awaits us? I am. So if you struggle, respond to Christ's invitation to come to him and then fight Finish your race, keep the faith, and look forward to what awaits because our experience here is just part of a process. It's not the destination. How we care, that's, this is not even going to be long. The spectrum of care at Solid Rock Church is simply this. The greatest commandment is to love God with everything. Again, that's my translation. And then, as I said last week, the, the, the Lord doesn't just answer the question about what's the greatest commandment, but he can't help himself but to go to the second, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. The very first part of loving your neighbor as yourself when you express it to other people is to treat others the way you would want to be treated. So with your, with your, with your full mind, with your mind unhindered by 
disability, when, when I made the statement about communicating as much as you allow, what I mean is, just like, um, just like my relationship with like little kids or babies or anybody, the relationship can go only as far as the person allows it to go. So I went to a birthday party yesterday, and one of my younger cousins has a son that's nine months old. It was my first time seeing him, so I started talking to him. Not because he could talk back to me, right? I'm not talking to him because he can No, I'm talking to him because that's a way to interact. So I started talking to him. And he starts coming to me. And so I keep talking to my cousin, and she's like, oh, I'm surprised. He, he likes you. And I'm like, I'm the baby whisperer, you know. It's all right, I understand. Like these, these powers, I don't even understand them myself, you know. I just, I just, you know, I just do what I do, man, you know. <laughs> and if you resist me, especially if you're a baby at this church, time is on my side, you know. So I'm just going to keep on doing what you will, will allow me to do. If it's like, okay, I don't want no more, then it's like, all right, man, I'll see you next time. <laughs> but we treat people the way we want to be treated. Most people, most people, not all people, most people want people to be friendly with them. Okay, not rocket science. Be as friendly as you can be. Say hello. If there's no response back, keep it moving. It's all right. Keep saying hello. And then if they have someone who um, does not struggle with mental illness, serious mental illness, then you could ask what's appropriate, right? Asking is a big key, right? You've heard that throughout. Like, we can ask questions. That's okay. But everything from there, everything falls under the umbrella of treat people the way you want to be treated. So if they're open, cool. If they shut, if it's like they were open, it's like right now I'm not, cool, right? Do you know I was watching, uh, I forgot what the name of the show was, but they were saying that, um, you know how people say beauty is in the eye of the beholder? At the end of whatever, at, at the end of the study they did, they, they, they asked like, okay, who's the, who's the most beautiful person? They showed you all these pictures. And then they said, statistically speaking, number four, it was number four, but number four should have been the person that you said was most beautiful. And then they said, why? They said that person should be most beautiful because statistics show that whatever is most familiar is what you process as most beautiful. Translate that to interacting with someone with a mental, serious mental health. Consistency will probably help you a lot to be able to interact with them. Remember, you go as far as they allow you to go, but be consistent. Consistently say hello. And then finally, just help where you can help. Now, because I've gone way long, I'm just going to just uh, say, just mention these things. Uh, the pathways for care at Solid Rock Church that we currently have are hopefully first and foremost, our D groups. Um, if you struggle in any way, hopefully your D group knows so that they can be praying for you on a consistent basis, so they can be uh, aware of what your needs are. Um, and then after them, uh, you should definitely, um, you know, or along with them, you should definitely, like, let Kurt or me know um, so that we can be praying as well, at the very least. But there may come a time where you need the resources of the church marshaled for you. 
that's much easier to do when you know of a situation than when you don't know. So the pathway is D group first. Pastors will we'll get the practical care team um, on anything practical that needs to happen. Uh, we'll refer you um, if it's something that seems to be beyond um, what we can do. And mind you, there are uh, many things beyond what we can do. But we want to be a place where we care, where we express our care, demonstrate our care. And so um, if you, anyone out there, is interested in coming alongside people, um, two things you can do. One, if you're a member of the church, you can join the practical care team, which is on uh, the Church Center app. <clears throat> or you can email me. My email is mike at solidrockchurch.net, mike at solidrockchurch.net, and just let me know how you think you want to be involved, even if it's, I don't know how I want to be involved. That's fine. Because what I'm hoping is that we, again, this was the beginning of a conversation, of a journey together. This is like a family meeting, so sorry that it wasn't an event um, for those who may have wanted that, um, but this is where we are. Um, so we, we are going to, um, and thank you for, I think somebody just joined the practical care team, good for you, right? Um, notifications. I told you, man, these things, um, but... <laughs> I'm preaching. It's like, oh, yeah, somebody joining. All right. So anyway, um, so, I, so our pathways will probably expand, but they will only expand if each one does his or her part. You know us. Ephesians chapter four is our ministry philosophy. We are to equip people to do works of ministry, not do all of the ministry. Uh, yeah, that's what we are called to do by God. And so... <laughs> So, so, yeah, we want to equip you and empower you, but we want you to work. Let's pray, and then I think there are a couple of questions um, to answer. Lord, thank you. Lord, as stated, this is just the beginning, and Lord, this, has, I'm sure, has been in many ways inadequate, Lord, for who is qualified for such things. But, Lord, I do pray that as... <laughs> as inadequate as a meal may seem to the growth of an individual. That's just the way it seems. But it's necessary for them to eat a meal. So one meal may seem insignificant, but it's part of a larger body of work that you're doing. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us, help us to be sensitive to you, Help us to be compassionate with those who struggle. And Lord, help us to be consistent with how we care. Lord, uh, we ask you that you would bless uh, us as we have come out of our sabbatical. Help us as we rev up to get things back to normal, <laughs> at least until the holidays. <laughs> um, Lord, help us to figure out how we can serve and how we can help. Bless anyone who is struggling with any mental health on any level, whether it's a serious mental disability or if it's they're just anxious about uh, being around people. Lord, we pray that you would please meet people as you see fit. And Lord, we pray that you would help us all to fight the good fight of faith. And we pray that we would 
part of fighting the good fight of faith would be embracing the call to care. Help us as a church to demonstrate and show our faith by our care. In Jesus' name we pray and we thank you. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions, please feel free to text your question to 240-623-8076. A few announcements for this week in light of um, our last message of um, this mental illness. We do have um, an Alcoholics Anonymous group that meets every Monday. Um, Currently, it's via Zoom. If you need information for that, um, you can email us at info at solidrockchurch.net or just join our church center group for Alcoholics Anonymous. It's titled AA The Way. Um, That is led by um, our brother in the church, William Dallas. Also, for members this week, we have D groups meeting once again, so please attend those. Um, the Zoom link will be provided online. We'll begin those at 7.30. And Friday, we have our morning prayer meeting at 7.30 a.m. Lastly, uh, actually two outreach events this um, this month for just getting us out there in the community. We have Greater Riverdale Thrives Day. If you would like to serve at that, that's um, September 18th at 10 a.m. You can man our Solid Rock Church table and Metamorphosis table if you like. Um, And lastly, September 27th, we are hosting another vaccination date. That'll be from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. If you would like to serve, you can show up an hour early that and we also do breakdown all right now transitioning to q and a first question is how do you deal with someone who says they have a mental illness that that mental illness um, is only having a demon and they disregard christian mental psychology and counseling um, as being a capable capable way of understanding how to address mental illness for the believer so, uh, so sorry um, <clears throat> for commentary there. But so, the person uh, thinks that mental illness is uh, is just a matter of, of, of spiritual reality. And I would say that um, <clears throat> while there may, may be spiritual influence, there may be demonic activity on some level. Um, the degree to Michael Lawrence, when he was sharing about his his uh, child, he he said that um, that he his child would tell told him about these hallucinations he was having, and um, <clears throat> excuse me, the um, the the doctor was like, oh yeah, you know that that just happens all the time. With that 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 happens so much, like we're not even impressed by that. It's just like. No matter where you go, it's kind of a universal reality that, you know, these hallucinations are like this. But when Michael Lawrence heard about him, he was like, well, no, there is some, uh, there's a spiritual component to it. Okay, so I wouldn't deny that there's a spiritual component. um, But I would also say, based on the reductionism that I mentioned earlier, that, um, that it's only spiritual. So I would say that person should not just, they should... Think in terms of a holistic approach, um, and which would you know people's worldview and their ideology and how they process things 
they've usually developed those over time. So you're not going to be able to say one thing to this person that's just going to, hey, you know, I am. But I think I wouldn't say, okay, um, there's no spiritual influence. But I would not say that it's all spiritual influence either. Because there is a such thing as mental health. And there is a such thing as serious um, mental disability. So if someone is like the young man I mentioned earlier, I mean, he was born that way, and his, his parents are godly people. Now, I didn't know them before he was born, but he had a sister who had the same type of illness. I knew her, I knew them before she was born, and they were, they were and remain godly people. So am I to think that, like, you know, I mean, so, so then again, your ideology, your, 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 your stakes that uh, nail down the things you believe, um, you know, you, you, those are the things that, that need to be, you know, talked through and addressed. So um, I would just point them again to the, the, uh, John 9. Um, I would point them to John 11 where, you know, uh, Lazarus is, you know, his... His sickness was not, you know, it was for the glory of God. You know, John 9, as mentioned earlier, um, that his blindness, being born blind, was also going to be so that the works of God may be seen. So, you know, we can't prove that it's demonic cause, causality. So we handle it how we can. And if we can through, um, you know, through mental uh, Mental, dis mental health disciplines, then we will. And we'll continue to pray for the spiritual component because it cannot be denied that anything that human beings are involved in has, because we're made in God's image, regardless of whether we are living for him or not, there, is some, there are some spiritual ramifications to it. Um, so I, I would say, you know, if it, if it were a member of the church who I could talk to on a regular basis, then, you know, we would uh, talk, we would, you know, just look at those passages that I mentioned, the John 9 and John 11, and just see, like, what are the implications of those passages on, like, how you're believing right now? And, but I would not just say, well, it's categorically the spiritual aspect has nothing to do with what, where a person is. Um, but I would say there's no way for me to prove that. So I'll work with what I can see, how I, how I can, you know, best. And then, but I will not forget God and to ask the Lord to please intervene in this situation, to please help. And if there is anything demonic going on, then I'm praying in that direction as well. Remember the, the, the um, now I'll just want to take a time. That's my, I'll stick, I won't go on that tangent. Okay. Thank you. Can you share some examples of the rest that you described in um, the scripture of Matthew eleven twenty-eight? Um, mm -hmm. I'll just say a personal one. Um, one day I was just driving, and the um, sky was just, just it just looked ominous. Like, man, right now, this sky is just depicting for me what life has been like over the past year or so. And what I mean by that, my life is good. So, 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 um, so when I say that, um, it's not because I'm dissatisfied with anything in my life, 
But it is because we've been in the midst of a pandemic for like a year and a half, two years. Right? It's because it looked like there might be some light at the end of the tunnel in the spring, and it's like a, a stoplight right there. Um, it's like, okay, the, the earthquake in Haiti, man, people are suffering. It's having had a tornado warning about some severe weather a couple weeks ago. Um, it's, it's Afghanistan. It's, I mean, this was before the most recent, before Ida came, but then Ida came. And then they're suffering in that Gulf Coast again, 16 years after Katrina, but not just that. Then it comes up the East Coast and it does things that are historic. And you just had, um, in, one, in one place, you had um, a historic rainfall a week ago. That record was broken like the next week. So I'm just like, Lord, this is like, like these days, these historic times, which always sound like they'd be fun to live in. Historic, we're making history, man. It's not fun. And so I was just like, man, you know what? I need to, I, I, I see this, I feel this. I just need to just tell the Lord. Like, I mean, yeah, what's my processing going to do if it's just going to leave me like, dang, man, this is a wild time to live in. Um, so I just went before the Lord and I just told him, I don't like this. Not that you need to change anything because I don't like it, but I just want to relate to the pain and suffering that's going on all over the place. Even though, like I said, to be honest, my life is good right now. I'm not suffering like any of those people, but I don't want to act as if it's, it couldn't be me. So the fact that it could be me is like, Lord, I want to pray. I would want somebody praying for me. So, Lord, I'm just bringing these to you. And like they weigh me down a bit. But I want to bring them to you. And even though nothing changed in terms of the circumstances, I think it was good for my soul to like see those things for what they were and then cast that burden on the Lord and to be reminded that he cares and to be reminded that, whoa, hey, I feel like lighter right now, Lord. That, thank you. So for me personally, that was a recent example of just like the rest. It's like I can't change. I couldn't change it even if I was doing stuff, right? I mean, even if I could do that, you know, I mean, I can't do that. And like, look, nothing happened, right? So, so I can't change anything, but I can cast things, right? I can't change, but I can cast. And I found that when I go to him, that that is a real felt rest, a tangible rest that I experience. And so that will be an example of the rest that I'm talking about. Circumstances didn't change. My perspective on it didn't even change. But the effect of what I understood didn't have a downing effect on me. Instead, it was like, man, Lord, thank you for, thank you for meeting me. And I don't even know how you met me. But I, I know I'm different from having come to you. The next question says, 
Do you see a distinction, therefore a different approach between mental illness and cognitive learning disabilities? Well, I would say that I'm in no way qualified for my answer to really mean anything. However, I'm not going to not say anything. Um, so I'm not just I'm just uh, lacking uh, one one. So it's cognitive learning disability and what what was the second the first part? Mental illness. Okay. Yes. So um, so yeah, serious mental illness. Um, I would differentiate those two personally because I'm not aware of myself having a, 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 a serious mental illness. Um, but I think I've become, I, I know that for years, if I saw this number, I used to be a secretary before I started working for the church. So I had to take a lot of messages, right? So if you read that number out to me, somewhere along the way, I would transpose numbers. And like, I, I knew like, okay, the way to help myself is to read, well, it would, I wouldn't read it back. I would go from my memory and say the number I heard, I heard and undoubtedly, I would have transposed the numbers. Even though I could tell you what the number, I could, tell, I could give you the, 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 the 10 digits from verbally, but like I wrote it down, oh, I transposed those numbers. I also remember, and remember what Generation X, learning disabilities, ain't nobody, no, I'm sorry, now I'm getting too comfortable saying ain't nobody, but no one, um, uh, that, that, wasn't really, that wasn't really a category for people, right, at, when I was coming up. So I remember, and I kid you not, do not judge my mom for this. Do not do it. I'm not even going to say what happened. Because um, we on that, like, people, I don't know who's going to see this. I'm talking about my mom. I ain't talking about my mom like that, man. But I, re I do remember getting in trouble <laughs> because I would confuse was and saw. I remember that. Like, I remember getting in trouble for that. And it was like, yeah, I mean, in my mind, like, why, why can't this, this is a, a W comes first, then an A, then an S, that's was. For Saul, the S comes first, A, W. But I just couldn't get it. Eventually, I got it because, you know, like I said, I don't have a serious mental disability, you know, mental illness. Um, but it was just like my car, I needed something to help me cope, so I'll read the number out loud. Um, and, or I'll um, take, I'll slow down, um, or I'll read out loud. Um, you know, so I think with, with the disabilities, there are things you can do to cope, and with the mental illness, it, it is what it is on one, in one respect. Like, it's not going to leave. It needs to be managed in a different way. Like, coping skills won't do it. It may need medicine, may need hospitalization. Um, so I do see a difference between those two. This is a follow-up to that question. This person says they feel like they can only see the dichotomy of illness or healing in the Bible. How can we live with the reality that mental and cognitive disability don't have cure-alls but are lifelong impairments? Well, I, I think, like, just I'm not trying to be any kind of way when I say this. I'm thinking as I talk, which um, 
means I may be processing along with, with you, but I think the reality that, you know, we see people who remain ill um, just shows that, like, it's not just an either or in terms of healing or, like, whether or not God, whether uh, every person who comes to God, like, every, am I supposed to, based on um, my observation of the world, based on what I know of people who pray to him, who have, I know of one couple that has a child who has serious uh, mental health a mental illness. I mentioned the situation in the very first sermon where her son is is um, he's I think 18 now? He's 18 years old and she says his his mental uh, his serious mental disability has him in a place where she and she's an educator she doesn't know. See, his mind may work at the rate of a five-year-old. So, again, now, I knew her before, like the couple I saw about, I knew her before she was even married. Uh, godly woman, has a lot of faith, trust God, all of that. Um, I think that, you know, we have to be able to look at the reality and say, well, you know, maybe this, for the time being, is God's will for this person or for this family. And then you you cope with the reality that, well, this is going to be here. You do what you can, but you cope with the reality as well. So it's not either, it's not either or. It's, the James, it's James, too. It's James, right? So James says, like, hey, man, you can't just say, man, God bless you. Like, be, hey, be blessed, right? You have to give the person, like, some clothing if, if they're naked, right? You have to, like, care for them in that way. You cannot just say, well, hey, man, like, hey, God bless you. Like, that's not enough. So until the God bless you results in like the person is fully mentally, you know, regular as we would define regular, then like you have to deal with the disability. And it's not a slight on God. It's just like, hey, again, the mechanics of everything, we're not clued into that. We're clued into the reality that God loves us, that, that we can pray to him. Um, and so it's not, you know, we like either or. Jesus is not, though. Just a lamb. He's not just a lion. He's both, right? So, so just do, those kinds of thoughts help there to be like, okay, I, I don't, maybe I don't have all the answers, but how do I respond to the reality? So the reality would be, hey, we deal with what we can see, we pray for what we can and for what God can do, and we just keep at it that way. Not, well, if God didn't heal, God is not hearing me. Or if God didn't heal, God is not good to me. Or just we stay away from that because we know that everything that is good for us may not be good to us. Um, so we know that God is at work doing that which is best for us always, um, even if we don't understand it. This next, um, this next one is like a series of questions. But I think you'll get the gist. Hey, God bless you. <laughs> I think you'll get the gist once uh, I read the whole thing. Could you speak to how long? No, mm, 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 no. Could you speak to how to walk alongside someone struggling with long chronic mental illness like anxiety, depression, mood disorders, 
as it comes to caring for them versus only challenging sin issues they may have? How do we walk alongside others, um, understanding the difference of the struggle versus sin issues, especially not understanding personally what they are mentally going through? How do we care when we don't understand it personally? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, that's a great question. Um, and the first thing I would say is, like, uh, try, take steps to understand what's going on with the person so that it's not just um, I am, so that it's not just a matter of, hey, I'm doing what, you know, I'm just being caring. Um, a lot of times, again, the holistic nature is that you know, sometimes we'll, we'll need to um, care for people and sometimes we'll need to challenge. But if we're only doing one of those, then usually that's, in, that's probably to be looked at as, is this really the best thing to do? But I would say in order to even be helpful, the, 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 the first thing to do is to try to gain an understanding for what the issues really are. So when Michael Lawrence talked about his son, one of the things he said, and I put it in my own, some of it in my own words, was that there, when it comes to like sin and helping people with sin, and that it can be helpful to think in terms of three categories of like where the sin is coming from. So if the sin is coming from weakness, there's an approach to that. If the sin is coming from woundedness, there's an approach to that. If it's coming from wickedness, then there's an approach for that as well. So, it, so an understanding of where is this coming from can be very helpful in terms of the response to the, the specific situation. So first, gain an understanding. So there's a proverb in the King James that says, like, with all you're getting, get an understanding. So try to understand first. Don't just jump to sin. Don't just assume sin. Right? Don't be, that's, that's reductionism as well. That's not holistic. That's all sin, sin, sin. The sin police is in the house. No, no. Like, that's not, that's not what we're supposed to be. Right? So, so there, may, there may even be sin. But if, if I'm dealing with someone... What I found is there's time to deal with sin normally. Normally, there's time. Again, remember the, the stakes of that hold up what we believe. Like, those take time to pull up, right? So I'm not saying that the person's believing wrong. I'm just saying, like, you need time to understand so that whatever you're saying, whether it's care or challenge, that it's with some kind of precision to what their true need is, right? So the, the passage that... That Kurt says often, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.14, we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help those who are weak, be patient with everyone. So those, there are different ways of responding to the situation, right? So let's not start with sin. Let's start with care. If there's a need to challenge, then challenge. And you can challenge one of, one of the most helpful ways, in my opinion, to challenge is to ask questions. If you look at, there's a book called Questioning Evangelism. Um, that book shows you how many times Jesus 
used questions to help get to like an understanding. Well, he, he knew what was going on, so he didn't need to get to an understanding. But he used the question to help the person who was answering to get to an understanding. Who is my neighbor? Right? He gives the parable of the Good Samaritan, and he's like, okay, which one of them showed to be a neighbor? Right? That's, that's an example of, of how questions can be used to like help sift through some things that it might take a long time to sift through. So, um, so we want we we don't want to like just drop challenge because a lot of because there are times where challenge is necessary. But like anybody who wants to start there, you don't know what spirit you're of. You're like James and John. Like, wait, should we call down fire on them? No, no, no. Make sure you understand what's going on so that you can try to speak with precision. And may your care be evident. First Corinthians 13. Right. If you don't have love, you're nothing. Right. So just make sure that your love and care can be uh, discerned and not just discerned, but but is obvious for this person. And then, you know, you can ask questions to make sure that you what you think might be sin. It may not be. It might be hurt. It may be a misunderstanding of, you know, in their minds that maybe needs to be dealt with, but not challenged in the same way that sin would be challenged. Okay. Before we go any further, how, how many more questions are you willing to take? Man, how, how many questions are there? <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm too comfortable. Sorry, I called you man. I'm, Jasmine, <laughs> how many questions are there? <laughs> it's, it's, it's three people. There's three people on here. But you know, some of them, you're not going to have multiple questions. Multiple you know? questions? Yeah, you know. Okay. I, I, I'm, are they church members? Uh, can I email them? This would be a good discussion, you know. Maybe, maybe um, you know, pre-D group discussion or something like that. Oh, a pre-D, like address it in front of everybody mm-hmm. via D group, before mm-hmm. D group. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's so many people log on, you know, mm-hmm. you know yeah. <laughs> on time, log on on time. Well, I'll look over your questions um, and... I'll definitely commit to emailing you uh, my response, but it's uh, 1225, and half the people that are here have left. Uh, <laughs> I do have one question that, that needs to be asked. This nah, person, man, I said, nah, we off. Nah, go ahead, go ahead. Nah. This person says, I got a sense from the Lord that Pastor Kurt should stay on sabbatical until November 1st. Are you also sensing that? Nah, I'm out of town next week, so I mean, the church, the church can run so itself. That joint is probably past the Kurt for real, but uh, <laughs> now see when we were talking about the demonic, no, nah, not nah, nah, nah. <laughs> um, Hey, thank you all for hanging in there this long with me. Uh, thank you for paying attention to and, and for the college students. Thank you came in like in the middle of things, so. Thank you for hanging in there. Um, and, um, man, it's been an honor to, to be before you for this last month. Um, have a great week. I see my D groups like this in a few days, um, and uh, we're, we're back at it. So uh, thank you for your prayers and for all your work um, to make this a welcoming place for all people. Um, and we're going to 
continue learning together and growing together until the Lord calls us home. God bless you and much love.